Okay, if that music doesn't just put you in a, like, want to, you know, groove and bob your head back and forth, I don't know what's wrong with any of you. But anyways, uh, good morning, Community of Grace. Oh, so excited to be here with all of you. And just to get the opportunity to be able to come together as one church family. You know, we've had busy weeks, and we now get to take this time and come together one church with, that worships in two different styles. So with that, I want to give a special welcome to those of you in the traditional service. And I uh, also want to give a special welcome to those of you who are watching online. So uh, hi, mom and dad. Good to, good to know that you guys are watching. But anyways, uh, before we begin, I just want to let you know that if you're a person who likes a hard copy of a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. And we have our ushers coming down the aisles at this time. So if you want a hard copy, wave them down. Uh, but if you are a person who uses a smartphone, then feel free to use that as well to dig into the Word. Because we believe that uh, the truth that comes from God comes directly out of Scripture. That's one way that he speaks to us. And so with that, we are going to go ahead and jump right on in because we are in the middle of a series called Ancestry.Church. And we are, it's the literal middle because we're looking at Genesis chapter 24 and 25. There's 50 books in Genesis. And so uh, I just want to kind of recap what all we've gone through. There's kind of four themes that have popped up over this first half of Genesis. Uh, number one, we are some messed up people, like way messed up. Like there's lying, there's deception. Abraham almost kills his own son. Like there's some evil that is going on in this first half of Genesis. Uh, the second thing, and this is the beautiful thing, and that's this. God is always there to rescue and save and be there in those important moments. God's always there. He's constant. And he's not just constant in this beginning part, as we will see. He's going to be constant throughout this entire journey that we're going on together, throughout this entire sermon series. Which brings me to my third point. Abraham's not the main character Isaac's not the main character. Sodom and Gomorrah aren't the main characters. God is the main character in this story. So keep that in mind as we're going through. And the fourth thing, man, I just got to point this out, but Abraham is really old. Am I right? Has a child at age 99? Whew, that is something you don't hear about every single day. And you know, he probably looks at other older people and are probably like, you think you're old? Man, I'm 140, doing amazing things for the Lord. But anyways, uh, with that in mind, we are going to dive into Genesis chapter 24, which is the story of Isaac and Rebekah. And I like to call this the romantic interlude. And the reason for that is because we finally get to share a story that isn't about people trying to kill each other or committing sins. So yay for talking about rainbows and sunshine and all of that great stuff. So uh, if you would, please, Genesis chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to there, and we're going to dig right into this story. So, starting out, we find ourselves with Abraham. And kind of similar to how uh, one of the themes that I picked up on, uh, we find Abraham, and he's really old. We're there already. But this time, he's old in the sense that he can't do anything. And so as a result... He's commissioning his servant 
to go out, and the goal is to find a wife for his son, Isaac. That's the mission. And so there's a lot of questions that could be asked. Okay, how come they don't just walk around in Canaan, because that's where they're living at this time? Well, let me give you a little fun fact about the Canaanite women. Uh, they are not the best women to be matching up and having as wives, because they worship other gods, and they don't really live according to what God commands. So as a result, uh, Isaac should probably steer clear of the Canaanite woman. Well, why doesn't Isaac just go off on this mission? Why does Abraham have to send a servant? Well, it could be the case that Isaac goes off to the foreign land and then ends up staying there. But the reality is that God calls Isaac to stay in Canaan. Notice how this is all God who is ordaining this and who is carrying it out. This is God's plan. God is the main character, even in this little romantic interlude. That's what's happening here. And so, with that, we know that God is in charge of this because we see in chapter 24, verse 7, Abraham's telling his servant this, The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Just another example of how God has his hand in all of this. He's already sending an angel to the foreign land ahead of the servant. So with that in mind, Abraham sends the servant off. Shoo, get out of my face. Go do what you're called to do. And so then the servant makes the journey, and then he finds himself in the foreign land at a spring. And this spring is a common place for women to come and draw water and bring back to their families. And so the servant gets there, and he's, you know, looking around. There's a lot of potential candidates, but notice what he prays in chapter 24, verse 12. Oh, the servant prays this, Lord, God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a young woman, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too, let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Pretty specific. Those are some specific criteria that the servant is to follow in order to find the right woman for Isaac. But a lot of translations out there say that before he was even finished praying, before he even prayed, finished praying, in comes Rebecca. It's kind of like how in some movies where it's like when the sign comes, it's like a light comes from heaven and just like makes the thing or person glow. So in, in walks Rebecca and the light's coming down and it's going, oh! You know what I mean? The angels are singing, that kind of thing. That's what's happening here because in walks Rebecca. And so the servant walks up to her and says, put down your jar so I may have a drink. And she agrees. And then it's like clockwork. And right after that, she says, and I'll water your camels 
too. That's the sign. That's why the servant was so specific. Because knowing that, because she did those specific things, that's how the servant knew that this was the woman, Rebecca was the woman that he was supposed to bring back to Canaan to marry Isaac. And so after that, he said, oh, I must meet your family and carry out the customary customs of that time, which included having a nose ring and sticking it in her nose and offering her expensive gifts, but then they had to go and talk back or talk to the family because it wasn't going to be that easy, you know? You can't just, you know, stick a nose ring in a girl's nose and expect her to run off with you. You just can't do that. That's not how that works. So they go and talk to the family, and... At this point, we get introduced to Laban. And Laban is the brother of Rebekah. And what I want you to picture in this next scene is this. Picture Pastor Steve. Picture Pastor Steve. He has a daughter, Evangeline. And he is walking out of the house to go and meet the fellow who is going to take his daughter on a date for the very first time. Picture that for a moment. Now, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing him walking out. You know, he's going to use his height to his advantage. He's going to cross his arms. He's going to look intimidating. And he's going to ask the one question, you know, this is asked in various ways that all fathers ask of the boy that's trying to take their daughter on a date, and that is this question. What are your intentions with my daughter? What are your intentions It doesn't happen exactly that way in this story, but you get the picture, you get the idea that there might be some things that get in the way of God's plan being carried out. So Laban, the brother, acting in place of her father, Bethuel, because he's ill, and he's basically coming out and saying, what are your intentions with my sister? And that's where we get our Bible reading for today. See, in Genesis 24, verses 34 through 49, what, he, what the servant is doing is he's giving an account of everything that happened. And because he's giving this account in excruciating detail and because it lines up with everything that did happen, it first leads to worship. What I forgot to mention is that the servant, after all of this happened, after Rebecca showed up, he bowed down and worshiped the Lord, gave credit to where credit was due. And then the family, Laban included, in verse 50 says, well, this has to be from the Lord. It's got to be. There's no other explanation. How can this man who we've never met before have such excruciating detail and listen to God and carry out exactly what he has in store? Well, it's because, remember, God's hand is in all of this. And so with that, they were just like, well, we have no choice. Rebecca, you have to go off with this man and go. Your destiny isn't in this foreign land. It's back in Canaan. And so Rebecca agrees to go. But isn't it a little odd, the situation? Here we have a guy who she's never met before, asking her to go to a foreign land that she's never probably heard of or seen before to go marry a different guy 
who she has never met. Three things that absolutely scream stranger danger. Like that was not a part of her vocabulary, apparently. But what was a part of her vocabulary was listening to what God was saying through Abraham's servant. But of course, there were some minor hesitations, you know, I like to imagine that in the, this last part, you know, Laban is like trying to stall a little bit. He's saying, oh, Rebecca, stay 10 more days. It'll be okay. It's kind of like the, the parents who are about to become empty nesters and their last child's about to go off to college. And they're like, no, 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 just hold on to this hug a little bit longer. Just hang on. I don't want you to go quite yet. You can go, but just wait a little bit. We want to have dinner with you. We want to want you to spend the night one more night. That's basically what's happening. But then they ask Rebecca this. What do you want to do? And it seems with sure confidence, at least according to scripture, that Rebecca says, I will go. I will go. I don't care what's in the way. I'm going to go. I'm going to listen to the Lord. So with that, off the servant and Rebecca go. And now we get to, oh, my favorite part of the story, the climax of the romantic interlude, because out comes Isaac. He's just worked hard in the field all day. And if you can imagine Isaac, he's a little bit more grown up. He's probably got the long flowing hair. He's probably got the eye, the dark eyes that just stare into your soul and make you want to cry and question your emotions and that kind of thing. He's also probably a little chiseled and, you know, like they say, he's a strapping young lad, you know? And he's coming out of the field, and it sets up perfectly for like a Nicholas Sparks novel moment where he's staring off into the distance, and there, riding on a camel, looking beautiful and pure as ever, is Rebecca. And I could only imagine him looking at Rebecca and going, oh boy, well, I'd like to get to know her, am I right? Don't worry, Isaac, you will, you will. And so then I could only imagine that very first encounter that they have directly with each other because over here we have Isaac and Isaac being the chiseled strapping young lad that he is probably wants to look cool for the ladies and he's going to walk up to her and he's going to give her one of these. He's going to go, how you doing? <laughs> and then Rebecca over here being in a new land, uh, not really sure what to think, but thinking that the guy over there is super duper cute, she's going to let out one of these. <laughs> She's going she's gonna to be shy, but then before you know it, they come together and they get married. Amazing how God works. And here we have this wonderful love story. Yay, we've turned over a new leaf. Everything's all fine and dandy. Oh, if only it worked out that way. If only it worked out that way. Because a little bit later on, Rebecca gets pregnant. And in her womb, there are twins, and they're wrestling, and they're jostling, and they're fighting with each other. I have a picture to illustrate probably what was going on in there, if we could just take a look. <laughs> it's, like, it's like two minions fighting over a banana, you know? Of course, the children's ministry part of me, you know, has to keep up with all of the uh, goings-on in the children's world, so I figured Despicable Me would be perfect. But that's basically what was going on in the womb, and then... So this is spelling trouble. And then what's even worse is at the time that they're about to be born, 
out pops Esau, but then right at Esau's heel is Jacob. And when Jacob clutches the heel of Esau, that's a sign of deception. And it's a little foreshadowing to what is about to happen in later chapters. Well, that's just great. We're back to deception and lying and what we had in the first half. Well, that's why it's called a romantic interlude, not a romantic ending. But I don't want to focus on that. I don't want to draw attention away to what God's trying to tell us in this story. And the fact of the matter is this. We can't ignore the trust and the faith that Rebecca had when going on this journey. This wasn't just going from White Bear Lake to Hugo. No, this was the equivalent of going from Minnesota to California. That's what was happening here. This wasn't an easy thing. There were so many things that were getting in the way of God's plan being carried out. Don't we find that in our lives sometimes? Now, if you think about it, maybe it was the case where here you are in Minnesota, and maybe God's trying to call you to a different state to go through a job that maybe you've never done before in your entire life. And the logistics of it just don't seem to make sense whatsoever. But what we have to remember is that with God, he makes the impossible possible. When things don't make sense, God clears it all up and says, I'm here. Trust in me. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. See, sometimes our human reasoning, logical minds get in the way of God doing some huge things. If I had, for example, if I had let lack of funds, lack of money, no job, no place to live, no car, get in the way of me moving up to Minnesota to carry out what God was telling me, well, there wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be here telling you about how trusting in God and having faith in the God who stays constant works. I've been reading a lot about um, Francis Chan, who he wrote a book called Crazy Love, and kind of towards the end of it, spoiler alert, uh, he tells some stories about people who just did things that made zero sense to society. You know, oh, why would you sell all of your possessions and go and live with the homeless? Where are you going to get your money? Uh, isn't that going to be bad hygiene for you? Aren't you going to get sick? Well, that's what people who stay in their comfort zone do. They think out all the logical reasons and kind of just stay in their little comfort zone bubble. No, God calls us to come out of our comfort zone. Kind of like how Rebecca was in her little comfort zone. Well, she trusted and had faith in God. So out of the comfort zone she came and God was able to carry out his promise. The generations were able to continue on. So it's a beautiful thing when God works in our lives and we can have faith and we can trust 
in what he's saying. Now, don't miss out on what I'm about to tell you here. See, doing this series, Ancestry.Church, this isn't just so that way we can give the intern an opportunity to preach. This isn't just, oh, this will be a little stimulation for my mind before we hit it real hard in the fall. No, what the reality of the situation is, is that this all matters. History matters. What happened thousands of years ago isn't distant from us. It's here. It's real. These are real issues that even though they're happening in different contexts, they're still going on. You may think, oh, worshiping idols was something that happened way back in the day. Um, have you ever seen people who worship their money, worship their possessions, maybe worship another God, worship another person? Yeah, worshiping idols still happens today. So we're not as far off as we think. We're, we can't think of stuff being distant and away from us because the reality of the situation is that God didn't just come with the the word and his truth, set it down and be hands off. God did not do that. Other religions kind of do that, where God's kind of hands off and people have to climb a ladder in order to reach God. But no, Christianity's different. See, God wants to get down and dirty with our sins. He wants to get real close with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And part of that is letting you know that his story is our story. So instead of being hands off, he's saying, here's my word. I'm attached to it. I'm close. Now grab on. Hold on because you are a part of this story. Have the faith and the trust to know that this is your purpose. This is your story. Ancestry.church. It's not ancestry.people thousands of years ago. It's not ancestry.abraham backslash Noah backslash something else.com. No, it's ancestry.church. And we are the church. So this matters. Every single one of you in here today and in traditional and watching online matters because of the fact that you are a part of God's story. And God's here. All you have to do is accept his invitation to grab on. Because in John chapter 1, verse 39, Jesus is calling his disciples and he's saying three words, come and see. Come and see what's in store for you. Come join me and you will have life. That's what Jesus is saying. And God is offering that same invitation to each and every single one of you. So as you're reflecting on Ancestry.Church and all of the stories that are going on, remember that this is your story too. Have faith in that. Trust in it. Know that it is the word of God and he's not going to let you down. Let your story 
become a part of God's story. Take it all in. The invitation's there. You just got to grab on. Come and see what God has in store for you in these stories. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we put our faith and our trust in all that you do. Sometimes when it doesn't make sense at all, Lord, we still trust in you because we know that you make things clear. You make the impossible possible. And so, Lord, we just ask that you show up in a big way and that we would open our hearts and open our ears to hear what you have to say and to invite you in to our hearts and to let you and to let you know that we are opening the door and inviting you in because we are a part of your story, God. And Lord, as we look at you with your arms wide open, telling us to come to you and that you're going to give us the best hug imaginable, Lord, we pray that we run to you and that this is a word that we take with us through all time. Lord, help us to feel that warm embrace and the love that you have for each and every single one of these people here today. And Lord, we give you all thanks for everything. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.